Welcome to the Oda Magazine podcast. We at Oda desire to give a deeper insight into the people we spend time with through a podcast featuring creatives and entrepreneurs across art, fashion, films and other creative disciplines. Each episode highlights the work of individuals actively participating in culture and the conversations they inspire. Our guests discuss how they see the future dealing with themes such as diversity, equality, understanding and, of course, passion. Odda is a platform where self-expression, imagination and dreams are brought to the next level and shared with those looking to be inspired. Okay, so first off, let's start with your Instagram name, Bad Binge Tong Tong. How exactly did you pull this and come up with this? So it's a funny story. Uh, when I was in school, when I was a student, I, I had a lot of fights with, uh, like, say, professors in school and systems because I just don't feel I quite fit in and I wanted to challenge, you know, the step, kind of like the status quo. Um, in terms of like, say the homework that they set up, you know, or the way that they teach, um, all those kind of stuff. So I was um, having a reputation of being a troublemaker. And then, uh, and then one of my friends called me like a bad bitch and in a funny way. So um, I thought it was kind of funny uh, call, like when someone called me a bad bitch uh, because I have such a, um, unique personality and um yeah and then I was like you know my first name is Tong so my nickname how my parents or my family call me um they usually call me Tong Tong so I thought it was kind of cute just call my Instagram name bad binge Tong Tong and you know and also the tone is very uh cohesive like you know it's oh, very, very much it like flows yeah like very much like uh rhythm um like the rhythm sounds pretty nice um over like once I changed my name people thought it was funny and you know and um when stylists and photographers shot my work sometimes if I appear on a set or if they return my pieces and see me working they're like bad bench tong tong and then they will call me and then like sometimes even now when I'm walking on the street if someone follow me on Instagram um maybe my followers and they will be like are you bad bench are you bad bench tong tong and I think there was one time my friend um one of my clients actually um she wore one of my dresses which is quite signature in New York and then to the Dover Street Market and one of the shop assistant asked her oh is it from bad bench tong tong So little by little, I realized that, you know, a kind of like joking way of making my Instagram name has become sort of like a brand of how people recognize me and my design. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Then I'm just gonna go for it um, and use it as my brand name. Cool, beautiful. Well, you're in New York, right? So if I find you on the streets, I can shout that right out. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> cool. And are as a child, in New York? are you also in New York? Yeah, I'm in Bushwick. How about you? I'm in Long Island City right now, but I'm thinking moving because right now the rent is crazy here. Yeah. Oh my God. No. Get out of Long Island City. Come to Brooklyn. It's the place to be. 
like even even Bushwick now is like three thousand dollars for one bedroom. Oh, it's crazy. The apartment right next door to me um just increased their rent like five hundred dollars. So I'm like, imagine. Yeah, nobody's nobody's gonna you know afford living in New York anymore. Oh, it's absolutely insane. And I'm seeing like all these TikToks of like people lining up down the street to view like one single apartment. It's crazy. That's literally, that's literally what I experienced yesterday. It's such a tiny apartment, has no AC, no fridge, no oven. And, and then like people are waiting in line to see the apartments. Like there are at least 20 people fighting for that apartment. You know? Oh, it's insane. If people are like fighting for their lives just to find like one livable apartment in New York City, it's crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Don't even say it. <laughs> um, okay, cute, iconic. So um for a second question, as a Chinese born and New York City based designer, how have both China and New York City had an influence on yourself as a designer? I really find the location influence so much on me. Um, but I do feel the culture does that I have. Um, I think as a Chinese, like as a, um, as a Chinese um, person that was born in China and spent basically 18 years growing up in China, um, that I feel that's the most, I feel that's the luckiest thing um, that I was able to absorb my like long um, long way of understanding like history of my cultures and everything and embedded in my dna um before coming to america because i sometimes i would think like what if i was born here and grew up in america what it would be like as an artist and a designer i think that would be very hard for me as a minority because like um america is such a place that's very eurocentric and then a lot of times that minorities culture has been ignored and even minorities themselves growing up, they don't want to be different than like, you know, Eurocentric cultures and all that like American whiteness. So like they're trying to assimilate and trying to like get rid of their uh, family culture, which might be really detrimental for artists and designer in their later stages when they wanted to, you know, embrace their culture again, which might be too late. So I think that's definitely one of the advantage that I was born in another country and spend most of my time um, learning my culture and um, embracing it without even questioning it, you know? And then, um, so it, it seems like for me, the process of having both cultures, it seems like I was born to be in an empty cup. And then I think Chinese culture at least fill at like three quarters of the water in the cup. Now, when I'm to America, even I don't learn any American culture or I've been treated very differently as a minorities and all that. I still have the three quarters of the confidence and the cultural confidence and all that in my cup. And I don't feel that, oh my God, immediately I feel being rejected because I was not white or being rejected as a Chinese artist or something. And in a way that I feel that my, my culture has given me the confidence to create what I want to create and to tell my story. Um, but if I was born here, I think that might be really hard because like growing up kids, the mentality of kids, you know, being treated as minorities might be, you know, um, kind of like telling them, you know, your culture is lesser here, you know, uh, it's underappreciated. So, um, and you know that creation and culture are actually going hand in hand. 
um, like just give you an example, like in Chinese culture, we celebrate sadness in like the past 5,000 years in poems and artworks and all that. Sadness is being seen as the highest goods or highest emotions. Um, but then here I feel the way of treating these subtleties and emotions are so different. People are enjoying fun times and they embrace happiness and you know, um, like pleasures and all that. And sadness is something that people try to avoid. And then that says a lot about like creation process because when there are, um, it's a mystery when poets are actually happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think um, a lot of times that my culture kind of like helps me understand different levels of emotions and um, in depth, um, which might be hard to learn in America. And moving to New York is such a multicultural environment. I've met people are, um, you know, have similar minded like me and growing up in different places and we exchange like cultural values and all that, which are very interesting processes for me. Um, but I don't know how it influences my work. A lot of times that when I attended interviews, when people ask this question, it seems like they always expect me to say, oh my God, New York is such a great place and influence how I create and all that. And I think creation sometimes is something coming from within. It's not related to how you react to the outside world, like, or how outside world affects you, you know? No matter where you are, if you're an artist, you're an artist by default, you know? Like, it doesn't matter where you live. Um, and actually, I feel New York might be um, on the, the reverse side. I think New York might not be a great place for artists. <laughs> like, stuff that we talk about, like the rent and all those kind of stuff, it's not, you know, artist-friendly. Uh, at all. And um, like Virginia Woolf once said, you know, a great female artist or, or like uh, female writers need to have a pen and a room. And I feel living in New York, the experience for me is that I might have the pen, but I don't have the room. <laughs> it's funny too, because I feel like my fellow artist friends, like whether they're designers, artists, photographers, like I feel like you have to go through this like really heavy struggle in New York of like getting comfortable with living alone and like supporting yourself like financially before you even like start to see success like elsewhere. Like it's all rooted in that foundation of like just finding something to make it like a livable experience um but yeah it's it's absolutely brutal but also too um before we move on from your Chinese heritage I wanted to ask how growing up in Wuhan specifically um affected your life um like during the pandemic and post-pandemic yeah so um it's actually uh Wuhan has been known after COVID I think when I was moving here as a teenager um you know, people ask me where I was from, I said I was from Wuhan, and people were like, okay, how does the geographic relationship between Wuhan and Shanghai or Wuhan and Beijing, these are uh, internationally known cities, and, um, and until COVID happens, so um, growing up in Wuhan might not be uh, such an exciting experience as people like you know, in London or people in Paris or people in Tokyo, you know, like these cities or people in Shanghai, you know. Um, Wuhan is considered as, um, you know, mostly like 
it's for manufacturing steel and iron and all these type of like um, like industrial materials. So growing up, I don't have a lot of chances to know fashion. Um, actually, my upbringing does not involve fashion at all. That we just see fashion as clothing, and we don't think too much. But you know, I always wanted to dress better, and you know, like to be different.、Um, and Wuhan is a place that, yeah, is just not so much about fashion at all. Um, growing up, but I do spend a lot of time in Wuhan when I was like、uh, reaching out to different like professors or teachers that they're good at painting or drawing, and I wanted to learn stuff from them because I love art so much. And I think my art artistic experience actually、um, was from my family.、Um, doesn't matter about Wuhan, but then like when I was a kid, my my mom was an audit、um, in a company. So she would bring a lot of like white paper for her to draft some numbers and stuff,、um, and I would use some papers that she didn't use、um, to draw and paint、um, by myself. And I would spend like a whole day、um, on the floor of my apartment、um, and drawing, which was super bizarre because none of my families are artists or designers or art related.、Um, then I, my uncle. Two of my uncles actually quite interesting. They're from my my mother's side. That one of my uncles are really good at physics, so I always ask them to,、um, you know, kind of like make stuff for me. In a way, he was my first contractor for for my pieces. And then the other uncle, he's really good at like drawing, so they would teach me,、um, you know, different type of things. And I feel that I was grateful for such a upbringing that、uh, none of them are artists, but You know, a lot of them are passionate that I could see it from their eyes, and now even now I still remember, like how passionate they are. They just didn't have a choice back then when they were kids that their parents were able to give them opportunity to further their artistic skills, and、um, so Wuhan was pretty much about that. And I was really good at math when I was in school and one of the top students, and you know, basically ace all the tests. And I, you know. Came here to study, on、um, really until like COVID happens and、um, it was such a major event、um, worldwide.、Um, but for me, COVID,、um, for COVID, I definitely like had a lot of losses.、Um, I haven't, for example, like one of my aunt actually passed away.、Um, like she's really close. She was really close to me. She passed away、um, like during the first wave of COVID in Wuhan. So. None of us has、um, attended her funeral.、Um, the other day, I was—I'm getting a little bit emotional actually. Like the other day, I was making fried chicken by myself, and I was thinking about her、um, that day. And because、um, as a kid, she 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 was the first family members in, in my whole entire big family that has the oven. So oven was such a Western. Thing that you know Chinese people don't use oven that much, and also like when I grew up, my families are not like well off or rich or anything that we didn't afford, you know, to get an oven. We came from very like humble beginnings, and my aunt she knew that she has an oven, so she always bakes stuff for the kids of the family. And what I remember is that she always used oven to make fried chicken, kind of like air fryer 
you know, do you know what I mean? Like, but then like she would marinate the chicken to drumsticks for an entire night in the fridge and she would bake them and bring them to us. And we would like, she and my mom and my dad, they're just chatting. Um, but then all the kids are enjoying the drumsticks and fried chicken so much. And the other day I made like a batch of like, you know, baked chicken, it's not fried, but it's baked chicken. And then I just, you know, reminded me of her. And I started to think that, you know, each person has their mission in life. And um, eventually everybody, you know, will go in another dimension or another world. And what the person has left to the world is really important because now when I think about her, I knew that she might, her physical body might not exist anymore. But what COVID taught me is that there's something, um, what you, people might, people might forget what you did to them, but people won't forget the feeling that you created um, for the person or, you know, for your surroundings. And I think that's uh, one of the biggest takeaway that I got from COVID uh, from those losses that I have. And it's kind of sad because like most people didn't have a chance to actually properly say goodbye to their loved ones. I think that's the really, the most saddest part um, about like COVID is that, you know, there's like kind of like a void space where people cannot touch or people cannot even, you know, reach. And then even now, like without saying proper goodbye, I always have the hope that my aunt is still alive. You know, um, sometimes when I talk to my parents and we talk about her and then we realize, oh, actually she already passed away. And then the whole family went silence and everybody was kind of like sad because none of us had say like proper goodbye to her. So in our mind, she, she was probably just traveling to somewhere else or, you know, like it's, it's really uh, different feelings than um, people passed away in other times. Um, but I guess it's, it's sad, but also like, kind of like, I'd rather not to say proper goodbye in a way that still have the hope that I would see her someday, you know? Yeah, I feel like it like, it almost like eliminates the factor of like getting a sense of closure, which can be definitely both penned as negative and positive. But if you're somebody who I think can sort of recognize the positive aspect of that, like, I think it can help with coping a bit. Um, So cool, that was beautiful. And then switching gears a bit more towards your career, before you dove into a career in fashion, you actually got your start in mathematics and engineering. And I wanted to know what made you make the switch into fashion. Yeah, so I always love art, as I previously mentioned. And, um, but you know, doing art is something not being appreciated um, in China that, I mean, at least from, for most of the, you know, for most of the households. So like we, we would appreciate mathematics or these sciences or like, you know, physics. Um, these majors are more popular and more stable to find a job or easier to find a job in the future. I mean, easier to find a high salary job, let's put it that way. Um, so people are very utilitarian in a way that when it comes to choose majors, I mean, I, I love math. I mean, like I was so passionate about mathematics, even now, like sometimes I would watch some videos of like, 
really interesting problem set and I will watch them how they solve the problem. And I learned so much um, while watching the video. So um, I love math, but you know, art is not something that people, I practice art by myself um, because I love it so much. And, um, and then I chose majors as mathematics mostly because I applied for Parsons the first time as a high school student and they rejected me, they turned me down. So I didn't get in, um, which I don't like, which I kind of like feel that was because they didn't see my talents. Um, like I basically submit the same paintings again in my second year and didn't change that much. But this time I used a better scanner to do a better presentation and everything. And then the second time, the same painting, but different presentation format. And I got in as a second year student um, in college. So I went um, and then that gave me like something to think about is that basically it's the same painting, but you know, people have different opinions about it two years apart. So I realized, you know, there must be something that I could think about in terms of the like systematic level of how people see art and how people see things and how can I, you know. So I was actually thinking, this might not be able to answer your question, it's just jumping to my mind. So the paintings that I did in high school was actually for the eyes and the years for the people of two years later, not at that particular time. And, and I realized that's such a beautiful message to me because what, what people disagree with me at the moment when, does not mean that it will be a disagreement or uh, underappreciation forever. Um, and sometimes it could be like my talents are way beyond their scope of understanding or, you know, like, and it happens to me so much, so, so many times. And, and then that's why when I was in college, like challenging the status quo is always the theme of what I do. Like even in the daily life, when I fight with people, when I fight people and stuff, challenging them in a way I see as a performance art, you know, like sometimes people cannot understand that moment while looking back, they could probably, you know, connect the dots why it happens. So like, so for, for Parsons, it's more like, you know, like an experiment to me, um, going there and experience. It's just like you have a ticket to a theme park, but what you want to experience out of the park, everybody has a different answer. It's like building like your own experience almost. And also too, I, I feel like it's always nice to sort of like rub it in their face being like, okay, I'm back in the game now after you already rejected me. So it kind of like feeds into you wanting to like make the most out of the experience um, to really just like rub it in their face, which is awesome. <laughs> and do you think that there are any skills that you have from like your mathematics and engineering background that have translated well into fashion? Um, definitely. I, I don't feel there are any technical skills, right. um, but, but then there's some like things that I feel it's more, um, I feel like a lot of times when we do things in the world, we actually establishing our own systems and each person has their systems and say the trees of knowledge when, um, when coping with problems or, or life in general. 
And I feel that math, like mathematics actually build, built a um, strong foundation for me to solve problems. Um, and the way of thinking is very different than most of like, I would say like other majors because mathematics is kind of like very logical and, and you have to have the ability to think in abstract terms. Um, the things you cannot even say envision or you cannot visualize, but you have to see it from um, say functions or equations. Um, so I, I definitely think that part is um, beautiful to me, um, but I didn't realize it until I stepped into the art that I actually see it from another subject's perspective, seeing math as some, something that's so romantic, um, so abstract and so beautiful that when I was in math, I only see it as numbers or functions. I never see, see it as like a romantic way of expressions. Um, that's, I don't know if that's answering your question. It's not, it's, it's not like technical skills for sure. It's not like, oh, it's one, one plus one is two. It's not, it's not something like that, but it's more of like systems or like even, even now, like when I make choices, sometimes I will weigh pros and cons, but I always think of like, oh, if the marginal cost is, exceeds the marginal benefits a lot, then maybe I shouldn't do it. And then what's, you know, what's the opportunity cost of making the decision of doing this instead of that, what would I give up? And I think a lot of times it has to be credited to like mathematical thinking um, of making choices for sure. Um, and also like, because math is so abstract and such a mysterious major for me and then subs, I mean, it's mysterious subject for me. And like, I realize how minimal I, I am. And um, a lot of times when I feel confused, I feel more like easily to embrace the confusion that I have because I realize how minimal I have in front of the abstract universe. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh my God. No, totally. That's perfect. And one last question before we dive into the actual fashion, but I wanted to pick your ear a little bit more about your background as a dancer, as I feel like movement is a big part of your fashion design, but specifically, can you walk me through your dance background a little bit? Yeah. So I started Latin ballroom dance when I was six. And I'm, I mean, I'm still doing it, but not as frequent as before because I need to find a partner. So Latin Borrow, we need to like have a girl to partner with you. Um, and then my mom actually made me do it because she wants me to have a great posture. Um, and she doesn't want me to spend a lot of times during weekends watch, watching TV or playing video games. So during the weekend nights, she would bring me to the dance studio and learn from other kids about dancing, about techniques and all that. And at the very beginning, I didn't understand it, but now I understand why she would do that. It's such a niche hobby to have. Um, and it's really cool. Like, you know, like not, none of the dancers actually, not, even now, like not the dancers I've met, they're rarely Latin ballroom dancers, mostly are contemporary or ballet or, you know, or, or other kind of like dance types, but then Latin ballroom is such a niche <laughs> hobby that I have. And um, there's such a small community in New York and actually New York has the best resources for Latin ballroom because there are a lot of like famous uh, world star that they are teaching here. 
Um, and then I think speaking of fashion um, and dances for their connections, for their relationship, I think you're right that movement is really important to me, but it's not something that I aim to create the movement. It's something that's embedded in the DNA. Maybe it's by years of years of, you know, I don't know, like practice and you are in uh, like immersed yourself in this type of like dance knowledge and you kind of connected the dance with the fashion with the creation together. So as you see that a lot of materials that I choose are actually very stretchy, which quite mimic the gymnastic or kind of Latin ballroom performance outfits in a way. And they use boning a lot, which I kind of incorporate in my work as well. Um, and then when you use a lot of bonings, of course, they will have the movement. And when people dance this and I realize, oh, actually it's such a beautiful coincidence that I didn't intend it to, um, you know, create a movement, not creating the movement for the sake of the movement, but they actually have a beautiful effortless movement by itself, you know? And, and then probably I want to ask myself why, probably because like when we dance, like people uh, focus as much on the connection between you and your partner and also like um, the, you know, the connection that you build for each other as a partner. I feel that's kind of mimicking my clothing and the wearer as well. So yeah, the knowledge is not very literal being transferred from one subject to another. In a way, they are kind of like all connected, interweaving with one another effortlessly cool that's perfect and also before i ask you um the next set of questions do you mind if i hop off and send you another zoom link yeah yeah that's fine yeah it's my king okay i'm gonna email you in like two minutes and then we can hop right